Uh, I'd like to start by talking about Jim Collins. Jim Collins is a writer. He wrote a bunch of really great books. Uh, one is Good to Great, Great by Choice, How the Mighty Fall. There's a, he actually and his team have over 2,000 years of collective corporate history that they compiled uh, to write these books about what are the best companies in the world. And uh, here's a quote from Good to Great. It reads like this. Good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools, principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government, principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives, in large part because it is so easy to settle for a good life. And in this book, Good to Great, what he does is he looks at over 2,000 years of corporate history. Not like, you know, going back 2,000 years, but a number of companies in the last 100 years that adds up to 2,000 years. So I don't want you to email me about that. Um, there was no such thing as a pack. Okay, so anyway. Uh, so in his quest to uncover good to great companies, they began to research some of the patterns that they saw in these companies. And what they expected to find was that there would be some major charismatic leader who would cast a really clear vision and have a crystal clear mission. And the strategy would be amazing. And that's kind of what they found. But they found that people committed and aligned to something bigger than that. And here's what he found. This is fascinating. He said, we found something quite the opposite. The executives who ignited the transformations from good to great, did not first figure out where to drive the bus and then get people to take it there. No, they first got the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus and then figured out where to drive it. They said, in essence, look, I don't really know where we should take this bus, but I know this much. If we get the right people on the bus and the right people in the right seats and the wrong people off the bus then we'll figure out how to take it someplace great. Now, what Collins found in life is true of all of life. People are more important than your strategies. People are the key and people make the difference. And in our world, sometimes the best way to build a vision or build a strategy is to start not by figuring out your amazing big ideas, but the best way to start is to figure out and start with who? His point is simple. In life and in business and in relationships, there are uncertainties. A healthy way to navigate life's uncertainties is not to start with what, but to start with who. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Start with who? Now, there's common reasons why people don't start with who. I have a few of them for you. Uh, first one is we just don't have anybody. You look around in your life, you're like, man, I just don't have people that I like in my life. I don't have people that I trust. Another reason is pride. We think that we don't want to let people in because we don't want them to see our shortcomings. Another reason why we don't start with who is that people are difficult. I don't know. You're not difficult, but all the other people in your life are difficult. I get that. Uh, yeah, amen. Praise <laughs> You and I both know how awesome you are, but all those other people are so difficult. So why would you start with who? And then there's also just a lack of trust. We don't trust people. 
I believe that L.A. ranks on one of the lowest cities of trust. Like we don't really understand people's angles or that we're suspicious of people. There's a hermeneutic of suspicion that pervades our city. Uh, and so we don't really know, like, if we can trust people. These are some of the obstacles that prevent us from starting with who. But regardless of these obstacles, we know this is true. We know that there are certain uncertainties in life that cannot be navigated without involving other people. We need to develop healthy relationships now so we are prepared to navigate life's uncertainties later. So I've called today's talk, Start With Who. I'm going to invite God's presence and pray. Will you join me in prayer? God, we are so grateful for what you're doing in uh, the lives of uh, Jerry and Deborah. Uh, God, I ask that you would continue to bless them throughout this day. You would give them everything uh, that you offer through your son, Jesus. God, I ask today, Lord, that you would show us how to experience deeper relationships, how to start with who, that you would give us a taste of your kingdom. I ask you would help me to speak as I should, guide me in the ways I should speak that I didn't even prepare, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so we're going to be taking a look at a story about Moses. If you don't know who Moses is, uh, he is a leader in the Jewish community that came before Jesus. He led the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, And so we pick up that story, Moses, and maybe you've seen like Moses in the Ten Commandments uh, or Prince of Egypt, the cartoon, or you're just an incredible Old Testament Bible scholar. But anyway, you dice it, Moses gathered all the Israeli people, the Israelites, and he said, we're leaving. And by God's power and God's design, they left. And on the journey to the promised land, we slip into that story and we pick it up in Exodus 18. And it's this amazing story. They haven't gone to Mount Sinai yet. They haven't received the Ten Commandments. They haven't settled in the land. They're in transit from Egypt to the promised land. They're on the journey. Okay. You need to know that. So in that story, then, so along the way, they would camp, they would travel a little bit, and then we'd camp at night. Then they would travel a little bit more, and they would camp. So they're like people wandering kind of through the wilderness to get from point A to point B. They're not exactly. So one of these days, uh, here's what happens. We read in Exodus 18, starting in verse 13, it said, The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit? Why do you alone sit as judge? while all these people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses answered him because the people come to me and seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses father-in-law replied, what are you do- What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you and you cannot handle it alone. Let's pause there. A recent Gallup poll that surveyed at least 7,500 full-time employees found this. 23% of all employees in the 7,500 person survey, they feel burned out at work. Uh, pretty often. Another 44% reported feeling burned out sometimes. This means that two-thirds of full-time workers experience burnout on a semi or regular basis. 
Now, the cost of this burnout is pretty substantial. 63% of burned out employees are more likely to take a sick day. They're 2.6 times more likely to be actively seeking another job. And even if they stay, they're 13% lower confidence in the management. And they're more than half likely to discuss how to approach their performance and improve their performance. They just either burn out or they just don't care. Burnout is a real thing. Burnout is bad. Burnout is real. And burnout is what we see Moses experiencing. It's just Moses. He's hanging out there. He's like, line up, everybody. What do you need? And I just want to survey the crowd. If you, what do you think Moses might have been like having to judge on? Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Yell it out. Any thoughts? What's that? Stupid stuff? Yeah. What kind of stupid stuff? Yeah, it's good. Good. That's a good stupid answer. What kind of stupid stuff? Do you, what a, what a, yeah. Like where to go to the bathroom? Like, hey, he, he went to the bathroom on my, my tent. He can't do that. Okay. Sorry. Who else? I heard some. Yeah. Yeah. You stole my sheep. You give me back my sheep. Like property ownership. What else? Anything? Adultery. Yes. Yeah. There's a bunch of teenagers wandering around. What do teenagers do? They get into trouble. Hey, your daughter and my son, hibbity jibbity, got to stop that. Moses, let's break this up. So from morning to night, he's judging thousands and thousands of people just lining up because there's thousands and thousands of people. He was getting burned out. Now, the whole scene reminds me of a place that exists in America. Do you know the place? Did I hear it? The DMV. That's absolutely right. <laughs> that's, that's right. You, you imagine that like you, you imagine the despair. I recently had to get my license updated at the DMV. Has anyone got the new license? You have to bring like six forms of identification. Yes. Yes. Here's my gas bill. Uh, <laughs> can I have something with my face on it? Uh, and you go there and here's first the initial line to get to the line. And you go there and they're like the gatekeeper. Like, are you supposed to be here? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, show me your six forms of ID. And they're like surprised every time someone has the stuff. You get out of line and there's an old lady who's dropped her credit card. I pick it up and give it back to her because I'm a Christian. <laughs> and then you'd get a ticket and then you go into another line and you have to wait for an over an hour. And you have some people that are yelling at each other on the phone. They're like, I don't know where it's at. Honey, just take care of it. There's a kid crying and shut up, cat. And then there's like someone who's in between places who's sleeping in the lobby. It's just a whole scene. And then you finally get called up and you couldn't have an employee that could care less about you. And they're just like, hello. And they're like looking at you and you feel dead inside and they feel dead inside and you carry each other to the deadest place ever. <laughs> and, and so that's what it's like to go to the DMV. And you just get this impression that everyone's irritated. Why are all these people here? I need my license right now. Why are all these other people here? This dude stole my goat. So you're mad at everyone else. The line is long. Moses is sitting there with the staff. He's like, oh my gosh, I, I had to part the Red Sea and we walked through it on the other side. I got to set up a DMV. I'm a leader, not a manager. I'm a leader, not a manager. You just get this angry scene. The reality is, the reality is there is a way of dealing with the world that will wear you out. There is a way of dealing and managing your work that will wear you out. And there are ways of relating in your marriage and in with your kids and with your friends and all your aspirations that can and will wear you down. So the deal is this. 
We need solutions that work, but how do we get those solutions? Well, Moses seems to think that the best way to deal with his problems is just to suck it up and deal with it the whole way through. Just, I'll take care of it. I'll just, I'll do it. I'll do it. I just don't trust anybody. Uh, I'm, uh, maybe I think that I'm the only one that can handle God's word. Ah, uh, people are difficult. I'll just handle it. Well, so Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, I don't know if you caught that. His name is Jethro. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he makes a few suggestions. And we pick this up in verse seven, uh, verse 19. It says this, listen now to me. And I will give you some advice. This is Jethro talking to Moses. He says, listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel, made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Amazing. A couple initial initial observations. Jethro helps Moses to see that God's power is something bigger than Moses. Moses initially thinks that he's the one that has to carry all the weight, that he's the only one that can distribute God's will or God's justice. And Jethro sees it from the outside. He says, no, 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 Moses. Moses, God is working through you and God is working in you, but he's not just working in you and through you. God is available to all people. You depend on God. God doesn't depend on you. God is so big and so powerful that he can work through other people, not just you. And so we see that Moses listens to the advice and he delegates large portions of his responsibility to other people. The second observation is this. The Holy Spirit of God is so big that he can even work through your (laughs) in-laws. I don't care what you really think of Karen or Nance. God can work through your in-laws. You know, because you see this, you could see there could be animosity or God can actually work through people you don't expect. And Moses appreciates that. So I want to talk to you about three ways that you can start with who. Uh, three ways that you can start with you. The first one is this, and if you're following along or keeping notes, you can do it. The first one is welcome people who speak the truth. Welcome people who speak the truth. Jethro, we see that this is a person that loves his son-in-law, Moses. Moses believed that Jethro had his best intentions in mind, and he believed that Jethro was willing to tell him the truth. Moses was open to hearing what Jethro had to say. And friend, In the same way, if you want to cultivate healthy relationships on now so that you can navigate life's uncertainties later, you need to welcome people into your life who love you and love you so much that they're willing to tell you the truth. 
You need people in your corner so much so that they're willing to tell you the hard truths, even when it might hurt you or them. You need people who are wise, who can keep you on track regarding how you interact with the world. You need a Jethro in your life. And if you take this seriously, you need Jethro's in your life. You need multiple people in your life who can be like a Jethro. Now, sometimes the issue that we face is that we think we have Jethro's in our life, but really we don't. I call these people pseudo Jethro's. They think they have these people in their life, but they really, they don't. And why is that? Well, the human heart and the human mind, we believe as Christians is sinful. Now a sinful mind and heart, what that means is we're sort of interested in getting things done our own way, even at the cost of of other people. And sometimes in our quest to control our lives and in our quest to control our circumstances, we think that we know what's best for our lives. And so maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, we put people around us who are kind of like feedback people, but it just so happens that all that feedback echoes back to us what we already want to hear. Sometimes we create pseudo Jethro's on the subconscious level because we need an echo chamber to confirm our biases and the things we already know we want. And this is a huge issue in American relationships. We often put people around us who will tell us what we want to hear. And then when somebody we know who we trust, who we need honest feedback from starts to give it to us, we somehow distance ourselves from that person. We see this often with dating. You have a consistent group of friends that give you feedback. Well, what if you start dating someone that they're not so sure about? Sometimes you pull back from getting advice from that person who would give you adverse advice because you want this to work. You just, they just don't understand. You start consulting people that really have no business giving you any kind of advice at all. We also see this in business. Sometimes a boss will ask a subordinate to confirm their biases about a particular project or a particular way of doing business, a particular strategy. And that employee who reports that boss has no choice but to affirm what the boss says. Well, the boss, yeah, boss. Yeah, that's how it works. And what happens is you can actually destroy companies and destroy lives because you have no honest feedback. Human beings are notorious for creating their own echo chambers. But unlike the, a pseudo Jethro, people, you and me, we need real Jethros. A real, true, great Jethro will do a few things. They'll tell you the truth no matter what. He won't withhold, he or she won't withhold relationship with you, even if you disagree on something. And they will always communicate and have your best interest in mind. Okay, so this is, how do we apply this? Well, this is why at Pacific City Church, we strongly encourage getting involved in a community group. We have community groups, four of them that meet around the city during the week. And the reason we have these is because, because when you come to church, you are forced to interact with people that you might not normally interact with. Now you take it out of this room and you put them all in a room in a circle. This will cause you to interact with people who are different than you. And you will learn from those people. And over time, you'll move from just the niceties and the superficialities. And you'll actually get to know each other and you'll start to tell each other uh, the truth. This is also why you maybe you've heard me say this before. I always advise people to build a personal board of advisors. Now, a personal board of advisors is you seek out individuals who are wise and who are willing to tell you the truth and you invite them to speak into your life. And when they speak into your life, you get better decision making along the way. So what I'd like you to do is if you're writing this down, maybe write a maybe write down something, right? List one and list two on a piece of paper.
And what I want you to do is under list one, number one, write down the list of people who have been consistently honest with you and open with you and give you good feedback. Make a list of those people. And what I want you to do this week is just reach out to them and say, hey, thank you. Thank you. Be grateful. Be thank you. Say thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate your friendship. You don't know how much that means to somebody. So do that. Now, list number two on the second column is why don't you make a list of the potential people who would tell you the truth and start to cultivate a relationship with them. Reach out to them. Don't ask them into something super formal. Uh, be normal. Be like, hello, I would love to invite you into my personal board of directors. Will you be my personal Jethro? They'll be like, you're weird. I'm out. Um, so what you want to do is just say, hey, I'm struggling with this particular issue. Bring like a particular project or issue or question that you have. Say, hey, I'm struggling with this. What do you think about it? cultivate a normal relationship, see how they respond and see if it's good advice. And then if that happens and it goes well, then do it again. And again, take it slow and be normal. Those two way, those are two ways that I can advise you on like, be grateful for the ones you have, but also be cultivating people that can be Jethro's in your life. So that's the first way. Here's the second way. Second way is this. We read in Exodus. I'm going to read it again in verse, uh, I think it's in 21, but select capable men from all the people, men who hear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And then they decide the certain cases and other people decide the other cases. So the second way to start with who is this invite capable people to help you. Jethro's advice is simple. You need help. You can't do it all alone. You need people who can come alongside you. You need to delegate. Now, returning to Jim Collins analogy at the beginning, you need to get the right people on the right seat of the bus of your life. And you need to get the wrong people off the wrong seat and off the bus. And here at Pacific City Church, I can just give you some illustrations of how we do it here. While we do it, uh, why we do it to make this church and this city a better place. Uh, we start with this. We, we always say this to everyone. We say every member is a minister. Every task is important. And every member is a 10 in some area. We believe that everyone is gifted in a particular way and has a skill set and everyone's capable for building Pacific City Church into what it's meant to be for ourselves, but also for the city. This is why we invite people to take a spiritual gifts inventory test uh, at our Next Steps class, which is coming up next week, if you can be there. Next Steps is our way of assessing you and you assessing yourself to figure out how you are capable What are the ways you're strong in and what are the ways you're not strong in? Let's not have you do the things that you're not strong in and cultivate the things that you're gifted in and start to do those things in and through this community. And we want to equip you to do those things in your everyday life. This is also why we use something called APEST. APEST is taken out of Ephesians 4. It says, so Christ himself, the apostle, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is apes? Well, look at those letters. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. The Holy Spirit of God has given something for each of us to do and to use in the kingdom of God. That it's not all dependent on Chris and the leadership team and the other pastors, but it's dependent on all of us. Each of us has been given something special to be used by God. Now, you need to figure this out for yourself. This is how we do it as an organization, as a church. 
And I'm not saying that you need to adopt Pack City's protocol for leadership uh, into your personal life. I don't recommend that you give someone a spiritual gifts test before you uh, ask them their advice. I don't think that's the way to go. However, I am saying that you need to be able to identify capable people who are willing to help you, whether it's in your ministry here at this church, whether it's in your community group, whether it's at work, you need to develop a personal rubric, a personal way of figuring out who is capable, who can help you along the way. Your life needs help to get to where you want to go and to navigate life's uncertainties. So you just find those people. The third way is this. We said, uh, welcome people to speak the truth, invite capable people to help you listen and bring the advice before God. And I think this one might be the most crucial here. We look at, we read in verse uh, 23, it says, if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all of these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. What do we see here? Well, we see Jethro's assumption is that Moses is going to listen and that Moses is going to take this advice before God. Now, there is a way to listen that's actually half listening that's not really listening. Children are notorious for this. Like, they can hear everything if you invite them to go get ice cream or go to Disneyland. But if you should so dare to ask them to wash their hands and come to the dinner table for a salad, you will find yourself not getting any response at all. Children are notorious for like, what? I'm so confused. I just thought I was supposed to play in this room until you asked me 10 times. Children are notorious for not listening. Okay. And there is a way for people to not listen to people's advice and not listen to God's advice in our lives. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. I can totally do that. Oh, I totally thought you meant I was supposed to implement this advice in like four years. Uh, I didn't know you were going to hold me accountable to this. I'm so confused in the same way. When we receive really good advice, the point is to implement that good advice. Okay, that's pretty clear. Like Moses, listen to Jethro's advice. My advice to you is to listen to the advice of the people you trust. Okay, but there's something more important here. We also see that Jethro says, if you do this and God so commands. That phrase is really important to me because Jethro assumes that Moses, after Jethro gives him this advice, that Moses is going to go before the living God. And he's going, to rec- he's going to ask God to advise him on it. God, is this your will? God, are you doing something? He uses prayer and meditation. God is what Jethro is saying. Is that right? Is that something I should do? There's something that God followers are invited to do that goes far beyond just the collective wisdom of our age. Jethro and Moses both know that God offers people Then and now, I believe this, that God offers us a supernatural assurance that can go far beyond just our opinions and the opinions of others. God wants to not only supply you with people who will advise you and people who will help you, but he wants to supernaturally give you a confidence that goes far beyond a bunch of people saying you should do it. A confidence that surpasses all understanding that goes beyond any amount of data or research that has gone into you making this decision. So friend, let me ask you a personal question. Where in your life right now, do you need the assurance, a supernatural assurance that can only come from God? Where is it?
Where is it? Is it in a relationship? Is it in a dating relationship? Is it at work? God, I need your assurance. I need to know what's going on. Are you looking for work? Is it in like how we relate to our parents as adults? Is it how we're relating to our children? God, speak to me. I need some assurance about this advice that I'm getting. Is it a big decision? Is it a small decision? God invites us not to do life alone or just with other people that give us good advice. God invites us to experience him. He invites us to invite him into our circumstances, into our questions, into our relationships, into our strategies. And we say, God, you're invited in. What do you have to say about this? Now, I'd like to illustrate there's two really interesting ways that God speaks back to us. Um, For one, um, when we were thinking about moving here uh, to Los Angeles from Ohio, uh, we were in Columbus. It's the home of The Ohio State University. Uh, I used to work, so I don't know if there's any SEC people here, but um, whatever. doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, there's some Michigan people here. Um, you're welcome. Jesus has a plan for your life. If you're from Michigan, you know, gape love for you. Uh, so, uh, when we moved here, we were really concerned, um, like God, like when we were thinking about moving here, we we're like, God, is this you? Are you speaking? Like, and we had a number of people work through us or speak to us about our circumstances. And they were like, yeah, this seems crazy, but it seems like God. And we brought that before God and we prayed and we just had this sense that this is what we were supposed to do. I can't explain it. When you know that you know that you know, when you know when you're knower that you're supposed to do something, like you just take that leap and you never know 100%. Like the thing about faith is that it requires faith and it requires risk. Your certainty quotient will never get to 100% on any decision, but you can get it up pretty high. And so by combining the external verification of people in our lives who said, this is what God's doing, and that internal sense that if we were to do this, that somehow God would bless it, we made a decision and left all of our friends, we left the house, we left our families, and we moved to Los Angeles. And that's not even that big of a deal. Like that kind of story wouldn't even make the Bible. I mean, you read the Bible stories in the Bible, like they were barely old. Yeah, it was like people died crossing seas, and they had all these people were bitten by snakes. And oh, uh, Chris and Nikki moved across the country. Like it wouldn't even make the list. <laughs> like I mean, I want my life to fit in the Bible, but that's not going to make the cut. Um, so, but we did that. Like, but we had this internal and external sense. But other times, when hearing from God. Sometimes God doesn't do everything for us. He doesn't get us to 100%. So imagine yourself being like five, six years old, and you have two parents, and they uh, are in the house, and you come up to them, and you're like, Mom, Dad, I want to uh, go play outside. Can I go play outside with some of my friends? If you're five or six years old, what are your parents going to say? They're going to say, sure, go ahead, stay in the yard. Don't go too far because like in an hour, we're going to have dinner, and we're going to need you to come in. So don't go too far. And you go, yes, mommy. Yes, daddy. And so you go out and play and then you come back in. Now, fast forward. Say you're like 20 years old and uh, you're currently working on your undergraduate degree um, at a wonderful college here in town. Let's just pick, you know, one of them. Pick, pick your, shoot your shot. What? 
Oh, so you're at Pepperdine. So, so you're at Pepperdine. It's a beautiful campus overlooking the Pacific Ocean. You're 20 years old. Like you have your dorm and you have all your friends. It's awesome. Things are working out for you. You're like, man, I'm going to be really important one day. The uh, whole world is about me. Um, <laughs> then you graduate and you're like, man, people don't care anymore. What happened? <laughs> all the people laughing have graduated. <laughs> And the undergrads were like, no, it's going to stay this way forever. <laughs> People actually like me this much. So you're there, you're at Pepperdine, you're in your dorm, and some of your friends come to you and you're like, hey, bro, you want to go, uh, you want to go throw a frisbee out on the quad? And you're like, yeah, bro, I love frisbee. <laughs> Let's go throw a frisbee. Let's go. Well, like, Wait, hold on a second. I'll be right back. So you go and you're like, you close the door, you lock the door. And you uh, get your cell phone out, and you uh, call your mom. And you call your mom, and she's like, hello. And you're like, hi, Nance. Is, is uh, Jared with you? So Jared and Nance are there. And you go, put him on speaker. And your mom, dad, I need to talk to you about something. Um, some of my friends asked me to go play Frisbee out on the quad. Are you okay with that? They're going to look at the phone, and then they're going to go, What's wrong with this kid? Sorry, hold on. Honey, what's wrong with this kid? What's And they would go, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? You know your schedule. You know what's important to you. You know if you can go play out on the quad. You don't need to call us. You're 20 years old. Your mom and I are busy. We don't need this kind of action. We need to be alone. You figure out. You know your responsibilities. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. And that is... Sometimes how God works with us. Sometimes we need God's guidance and voice down to like, here's exactly what you do. Here's exactly what you don't do. But what we find, we find this in the Bible and we find this to be true today in our lives. As we mature and become like Jesus, sometimes Jesus doesn't decide for us. Sometimes we become mature and he says, why don't you choose? Go ahead and you choose. You decide. And that is firmly built in the fact that Jesus has confidence in you. And Jesus believes that you can't get outside of his will. So even if you make a bad choice, he's going to bring you onto the right path. Does that make sense? So when we think about inviting God into our lives, we need to be ready to hear something specific that might come from prayer or from someone speaking to us or through the Bible. But we also need to be ready for some silence. And sometimes that silence means we just stay, we don't make a move, we don't decide. Other times that silence will feel like, I just need to make a decision. That I've been entrusted to make a decision. And you see, when Moses trusted Jethro, and when Jethro gave that advice to Moses, we applaud them. We are excited about them. But really what that is, that kind of relationship... It was just a pointer to the ultimate expression that we have in the cross, that we have in the gospel. We see that the ultimate example of Jethro, the ultimate assurance of Jethro, the ultimate helper is Jesus. We see that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to communicate to us that he loves us, that he is for us. That there's nothing we could do or say that it would ever separate us from him. And he also invites us out of sin 
and invites us to live a life that is different and holy and better. And it's through Jesus and what he did on the cross and what he did when he rose again that he demonstrated he had power over everything. And what he did next is he sent his part of himself, the Holy Spirit, to do what? To guide us, to be there for us, to help us and navigate uncertainties in our time of need. When you will face the uncertainties of life, it's not an if you will face the uncertainties of life. When you face the uncertainties of life, what will you do? Will you start with who? Will you start with somebody who can advise you and help you? I think that you should. And I think there's people in this room who love you and care about you and who might love you and care about you, but you just don't know well enough to know yet, but they will love you and care about you and advise you. But there is one who you can start with and his name is Jesus. And when we welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives and our circumstances, we are welcoming the very God who invented you. We're inviting him to do something in you and speak to you and guide you. And so... Friend, those uncertainties will happen. I encourage you to start with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for everything that you want to do in us and through us. God, we thank you that you gave us your son, Jesus. We thank you that Jesus, that you died on the cross in our place and you established a way for us to have a relationship with you. God, we thank you that you are victorious over everything and the brokenness, and we turn to you.